I'm really pleased tonight to have the supervising sound editor for Blade Runner 2049, Mark Mangini, here with us. You're about to watch this movie. I promise you it's going to be an extraordinary experience, specifically in this cinema, in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. And I'm really glad that Mark could come up to San Francisco to be with us this evening. I'm probably going to embarrass Mark a little bit by just telling you a little bit about his background. Mark's been nominated for the Academy Award four times uh, for his work uh, on sound and film, and one recently, two years ago, for his work on Mad Max Fury Road. Some fans of Mad Max here. I've known Mark for a long time, but he is one of the He's one of the leading sound artists working in feature films today. This is just a short list of, of uh, some of the highlights from his credits. Uh, the Green Mile, he did The Fifth Element as well. <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance, has done a lot of, of animation. Uh, Lion King, Aladdin, uh, you know, from my own, my own adolescence, uh, he did Gremlins, so, uh, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't mention Mark's extraordinary work on really a tour de force of sound design, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. So please help me welcome up Mark Mangini. How do you step into a film like this after the really the iconic work of of Blade Runner? Um, you know, what, what was your what was your uh, uh, approach to the to to this particular film? It began with um, an immense amount of fear. I I <laughs> I loved the first film and I felt the weight of expectation. The literally the worldwide sort of hunger for this sequel, and what I felt was um, this sort of thread that, that uh, we might screw it up. And so that's, that's a very bad way to go into a creative process. <laughs> and of course, it's a prime motivator as well. What I did know was that um, you, you, we wanted to honor the first film without imitating it. Um, we wanted to uh, respect it um, and not imitate it. So I spent a great deal of time watching the first film to sort of get into its DNA, to try to understand how did sound work to tell the story and create a mood without deconstructing its actual parts because what I did not want to do was just reprise the sound of the spinners or the atmospheres of, of LA in 2019. I, I wanted to understand what Ridley was going for and what Vangelis was going for. And, um, oh, I'm, um, I'm going to, Dan Sharp, uh, I'm going to forget the sound designer's name. I'm, I'm, I'll get back to you on that. So I, I was, it, it looked to me like Pete Par Peter Parnell had done a lot Thank of you. the work Parnell. on the original. So, I, and I was really curious about this because, of course, you know, we actually, a, a few of us got together and watched the, the, the original film a couple yeah. of nights ago, which still holds up. It, it's, it's an amazing looking and sounding film. You know, Blade Runner obviously has become so iconic in, in cinema um, as an influence on an entire generation worth of science fiction films. And I think most of the attention that gets paid on Blade Runner is on the visuals. 
Wow. Which right. you know was groundbreaking, yeah. and obviously the Mangala score was right. was uh, amazing as well. Mm -hmm. But the th one thing that I noticed when taking a look at and listening at the film again was the sound design was amazing in the in the original film, right. um, and and specifically uh, kind of the marriage of sound design and music mm -hmm. in the original film was really kind of groundbreaking for yeah, that for that beautiful time. Stuff. So those are the kinds of inspirations I'm talking about. Th that's what I gleaned from it. Not what were the sounds themselves, but how did they work that right. way? Right, because that echoes in this film as well. But I, we were doing some research on this, and I don't. So I, on YouTube, I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, the ambiences and the sound design from the first film are so amazing. Somebody has taken a little clip of the sound from Deckard's apartment yeah. and yeah. made it into a 12-hour ambient. I've seen it. Loop. Yeah. So we're gonna, <laughs> I have we're gonna, that sound. We're going to play this for you. Just a little excerpt. So you can hear. You can have that for twelve hours. Um, there, there's a little Easter egg here for the, the true audio geek. Do you know that? You must know this. I, I, I recognized it when I saw the film. You did? Yeah, yeah. Does anyone know what that really is? Good. Excellent. Do you know where it was in the first Star Wars film? Exactly. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> $100 to that man in the corner. <laughs> so... If you've, and obviously, if you paid attention to the iterations of Blade Runner, of which there were many, but the 2007 remix was uh, mixed by Ron Bartlett and Doug Hemphill, who did the 2049 mix exactly. with you on this on this right. film. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about the collaboration of sound design and music in in the film? Sure, um, and it may not be what you expect. Um, one of the things that I discovered upon examination of the first film is that many of those um, environmental sounds, not the one you heard that was used for Deckard's apartment, were in fact electronic noodlings made by Vangelis that are not score. He created these atmospheres, if you will, that he peppered throughout the film to give each scene a kind of a feeling, like a, a musical vibe without melody. And that is where my first inspiration came from because Denis Villeneuve's first words to myself and Theo Green, my um, lead sound designer, was, I want you to compose this film with sound. So we kind of flipped Blade Runner, uh, the first Blade Runner on its head and we thought, because what, what he wanted to do was this. He's very, very economical with his use of score. And he said, if sound can do the heavy lifting and I don't have to use melody to do that, we, we, we will have a successful film. So he handed Theo and I a version of the film with no music in it and said, compose the film. So I set about creating, as did Theo, as did David Whitehead, and many of the other contributors to this film, creating musical atmospheres, ambiences, if you will, that if you listen, in, it, in almost every scene, you will hear music tonalities, but that's not score, that's sound design, if you will. And that is something that Denis responded to um, remarkably. It's exactly what he wanted, because it, 
it was the spirit of the first film without being the first film. If you take a listen to Denis' other films, and I'm thinking specifically about Sicario and Arrival, they're very, what I would call, score forward. Um, there's not a lot of score in them, but when he uses the score, he features it very prominently. And, uh, you know, I can still hear some of those, you know, musical signatures from those films, you know, in my head. And so I, I, I really responded to, to a similar use of, of the score in this film. So, uh, you know, often and oftentimes in our business, when you get to the mixing stage, there can be kind of a train wreck between the music department and the sound effects department. If there hasn't been a lot of communication and coordination between them as they're, everybody's trying to kind of accomplish the same thing. So with the marriage of sound design and and sound and music in this film, were you guys working fairly closely with, uh, the, uh, it was Hans Zimmer. Uh, and, and Ben Walfish. Who did the score for this. Correct. Now. Was there a lot of communication, or were you guys kind of kind of trying your own ideas and then sorting things out later? Well, initially, there was a beginning round of communication because uh, the film was started by Johan Johansson. And um, for creative reasons, really, you know, that kind of crass phrase you see in the trade papers a lot, um, it was decided that um, a different musical direction was needed, not for the lack of the greatness of the uh, the score that Johan was writing, Hans and Ben were brought in to complete the score for the film. And that happened very, very late in the process, and that, in fact, precluded almost any collaboration between Ben and I, because Ben had very little time, compared to what a composer usually gets, to kind of, you know, I had nine months to ruminate. I, had, I was given this incredibly luxurious schedule to daydream a lot and imagine what this movie might sound like. And I could, I would uh, bring Denis into my studio and I'd play him designs for entire scenes and sometimes he'd say, that's great, I won't have the composer write for that. So Denis was the intermediary, the Henry Kissinger, if you will. So he was saying, stop, you go here, <laughs> yes. you go here. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and that's, you know, once Hans and Ben came on, Denis orchestrated that, but we were already, in terms of a design, process very very deep into the film such such that the final mix was a really simple and elegant well nothing's ever simple but we had ordained this was sound design this was music this is where we blend this is where we don't blend and we had none of the usual kind of you know struggle for territory if you will it was very very civil you know in no small part because Denis is a master filmmaker who who fully understands what he wants. Uh, I, I've been struck, because um, I, I had uh, the great uh, uh, opportunity to do a, a talk at LA Film Festival last year with Denis and Joe Walker, his picture editor, talking about Arrival. And I was really struck by, you know, very few directors really have an intuitive understanding of how to use sound as a storytelling tool. Denis does, but he's also working with Joe, who's his picture editor, who has a background in sound design and music composition. So they're really savvy about the tools that they're using. Can you talk a little bit about how you collaborated with Joe? <laughs> Joe. I, I didn't realize that was funny. But. <laughs> well, because Joe has a, a period of his career as, as a, an accomplished sound editor and sound designer. Joe is also an accomplished musician and published musician and composer. So he has such a thorough understanding of the, the sort of the sound wheelhouse of a movie that he has a very sophisticated idea 
of what is going to be the thing that works within a scene. Uh, in fact, every two weeks for six months, I would bring design work to Joe and Denis and play them my work and, and take notes um, and ideas from them so that we all had an understanding because Joe, Joe would feed me projects based on the scene he was cutting on and he would ask for that sound so that he could sometimes build around sound, not the other way around. Sound might lead and would sometimes lead the edit visually. Usually we're chasing. This time we were leading in some cases and that's a testament to Joe's and Denise's um, um, full belief in, in the ability of sound to tell story. Well, I, so you said that and immediately I thought of, I mean, we don't want to delve into spoilers too much because I think uh, a lot of these folks haven't seen the film yet, but the, the, I do want you to talk just a little bit about the sequence in the ballroom with the holograms because that to me, I, when I heard this, it's a breathtaking piece of mixing and design. Yeah. So was, was that an area where, where you kind of had an influence on, um, on things? Um, sorry, uh, but I had, almost no <laughs> I had almost no influence on that scene whatsoever. In fact, that scene was entirely designed by Theo Green, our, our, our sound designer, and it was designed months ago. Mo this is how, how sure Denis and Joe were in their filmmaking and the sound design process that they built that sequence, handed it off to Theo and said, do something with this. And that's his first delivery and that hasn't changed for seven months. That has been in the film since Budapest when they were shooting. That's amazing, that's amazing. And I, again, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but that's a testament to the, 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 um, the, how visionary Denis is. Denis knew that this was a film that was going to be made of, of image and sound at the same time. So while I was on another film, Theo started in Budapest during production, right. and he was designing as Joe is editing, and vice versa, as Theo is designing, Joe is editing against that. And I can't tell you, I've had studio heads tell me, you don't put on sound in production. That's right. just not what we do. Right. Well, when you let me know if you think this is something we should do in the future after yeah. you see the film. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I would like to think this is as, as clear as an example as there can be of the benefits of having that be an organic and symbiotic process. Yeah. Now, um, you did an, uh, an amazing amount of original recording for the for the sound effects on this film. Uh, tell us a little bit about that process. Well, um, I, amazingly, this film, as you can imagine, like the first film, takes place in the rain. And living in Los Angeles, I, I, it's not a good place to hope for rain. And we were blessed with a once-in-a-century set of deluges from January and through January and February. So I spent many nights at 2 in the morning um, out in the middle of the rain with a recorder and microphone simply capturing trickles, dribbles, deluges, um, every manner of rain falling with special microphones and protective covers that I had built and special body wear so you didn't hear the rain fall on me. You would only hear it fall on the ground. Um, I did a great deal of underwater strangulations of myself. Um, uh, we did a. There's a lot of crashing and banging, so we hired junkyards and went out and destroyed a lot of things and dropped a lot of things. 
Uh, we recorded drones for some of the spacecraft. We recorded my wife's Honda Element vibrating with a giant subwoofer in it to get the sense of a spaceship crashing. Um, those are That's some of That's where them. the creativity comes in, it's, right? It's just nutty. The, you know, we'll just do anything for a sound. Actually, I want to give a shout out to uh, Michael Coleman is here. Um, Michael uh, does the Soundworks collection and did uh, a really extraordinary 15-minute kind of behind-the-scenes piece on the sound uh, and music of this film, which is going to post tomorrow. So, um, to, you know, after watching the film tonight, take a look at this piece tomorrow. It's really extraordinary, and a lot of great footage of you doing the strangulation yeah, of yourself you, under the, 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 the water. video, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All that silliness. Um, so, I, you know, obviously we're here at the Dolby Cinema about to experience this film in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. So Mark came in uh, this afternoon and we, we took a couple minutes. We just ran the first few minutes of the, of, of the film. Um, and I, I, I would call this a very present mix. It's, it's, it's robust. Um, Butch. Is, yeah. It's girthy. It's girthy. It's girthy. It has a it has a, a healthy use of the of subwoofer and low frequency. Let's put it that way. Uh, but you you remark after we played that was like this is the way Denis wanted people to hear this movie. This this theater is an absolute perfect um, reproduction of exactly what we heard in the mixing studio. So this is exactly as the director intended it as as it should be. Um, and obviously, we're going to experience it in Dolby Atmos, which is our, our object-based sound uh, system. What uh, what should the audio, What should these guys be be listening to? Uh, obviously, going to be swept away by the film. But what? How did did you and Ron and Doug specifically use Atmos in, in constructing this track? Uh, maybe well, oddly to me, but maybe not oddly to people who don't do sound for a living. But the thing to listen for, which we don't want you to really listen for, because we want you to feel engaged and immersed is the fact that you are surrounded, uh, immersed is really the best word, by sound constantly. Not in a way that we want to draw attention to, but in a way that we hope creates an experience where you say to yourself, if you were to ask yourself, I feel like I'm really there. Because ultimately that's what sound should do in cinema is engage you and make you feel like it's an experience you really had. You know, the, the challenge for a filmmaker is the suspension of disbelief. This isn't, none of this is real. None of this really happened. So the challenge is to convince you that what you're seeing and what you're hearing really happened in the universe we're presenting to you. Atmos gives us the ability to present it in a way that you hear in real life because, as you know, we hear in 360 in real life. But anything but an immersive sound array like Dolby Atmos doesn't afford you the opportunity to do that. So that's how we most utilize Dolby Atmos. We did not do a lot of what you might think are the things you do, which is, oh, I have a speaker right over there, so I want to put a sound in it. But in fact, Denise said to me, one of the first things he said was, I'm really nervous about this Atmos thing because I don't like the audience being distracted by the surrounds. And that's a really sage awareness to have for a director. What he learned when we played back reel one of the film form in the first day of final mixes was that exactly what I just described. He felt completely transported into a world we had created. And he didn't know that that's how you could use audio. I can't think of a better way to end it and start watching the film. <laughs> Then with that. 
so uh, we're gonna we're gonna watch this pretty extraordinary film, um, and then uh, Mark and I will come back afterwards for just a very short, like five ten minutes, answer any questions uh, that you might have after experiencing this film. So let's do this, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Now these are the diehard film fans right here. We'll uh, we'll just take a few minutes and have some questions from the audience. Whatever you prefer, really... if there are any. Yeah, if if you guys have any, any questions. A prediction. <laughs> yes. No, um, the Honda sound was for all the interiors of Kay's spinner, just because we wanted to give it, because it's a 15-year-old car and it kind of rattles. We wanted to imply that this had been cobbled, cobbled together from parts over the years. But good guess. Thank you. <laughs> Other questions? Um, it had to be made out of foam because it was the only thing that would absorb. What I would do is um, cover myself with this um, foam that wasn't repellent. It would absorb, and I could only stay out in the rain for about 20 minutes, and then I would have to wring myself out. But the idea is that it would hit the foam and not make it so that the microphone wouldn't pick up its interaction with me. And I had to do the same. I had to build a, a foam rig for the microphones as well. <laughs> What what you were just describing is really interesting to me because I mean it's a it's a big track. There's there are obviously set pieces and moments where there's a lot of sound and and big big moments. But I'm also just impressed with how quiet the mix is at certain points. You know when he at the arrival in Vegas. You know when yeah. when Kay is walking up to the to the casino. This it's it's very very quiet. It's just really some subtle foley and yeah. it's 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 a very restrained mix as, as well. Um, quiet was the very first discussion I had with Joe Walker and he showed me those sequences and said we really wanted to play silence here and I told him that the best way to indicate silence is to occasionally interrupt it um, if you do total silence and you, you probably know this the audience thinks there's something wrong with the theater or something wrong with the speaker system so the best way to imply silence is to be very, very quiet and occasionally, and we recorded these kinds of, we literally took a room like this and I put six people in it. And all, we did, I don't, all we did was like drop dust on the floor. Mm -hmm. And it was all those little, little bits of filigree that interrupt the silence that reminds the, tells the brain, it's been really quiet for a couple of minutes, but that sound tells me why it's been quiet. Right. And a great mix is about contrast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Denis is very smart that way of going loud and soft and sure and modulate otherwise you just get exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Um, any other questions? Yes, right here. So the question was: Did you create everything that we hear in the film, or did you uh, did you use the sound effects library at all? Um, everything in this film was handcrafted, which is very rare. Um, we never have those kinds of budgets or that kind of time. But this is something that Denis insists on, and I wanted this to feel wholly original. For what was the what was the sound budget? <laughs> it was <laughs> it was more than five dollars and less than a hundred million. Correct, sir. I'm right. sorry. I'm I'm not really allowed to talk about those things. But thank you for that's, being interested. <laughs> that's tradecraft. Uh, any other questions? Yes. It was right, a lot. Right it was the biggest budget I had worked on. Yeah. Worked with. 
So there's this sequence when uh, Robin Wright <laughs> gets killed, and then it's actually kind of a comedic moment when she like Quite. her head gets scanned, and then yeah. she just kind of hits the. So like you, so the question is how do you you have that sequence in the film, right. and obviously you don't want to record an actor's head banging against a table. So how do no. you how do you create the sound of that? Um, I did not create that sound. Andy Malcolm, our Foley resident Foley artist, created that sound, and I can only guess that. He used some large fruit, like a melon of some kind, and dropped it on a hollow desk. Very likely. There you go. So the, the, the question is about um, um, your approach to build, and, and this was the sequence that you talked about Theo. Yeah, also Theo put this together. created that scene that, the, entirely. The, 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 the hologram uh, in mm -hmm. the ballroom sequence, how did that come together? Uh, the, the real genius behind that sequence is that it was originally shot with the holograms going crazy and creating this cacophony of sound. We were meant to hear, at least in the script, Elvis and Marilyn and Liberace and the, the showgirls and sound. You know, we had this idea that sound would be in every corner of the room. And Denis had this epiphany that perhaps that was just um, wretched excess and asked Theo to make a different presentation of it. And this was Theo's really first pass at it to go in the opposite direction, which was to say play a lot of silence interspersed by these jarring interruptions. It makes it, it, makes it way more eerie um, that the, you know, the sound will cut in for just a moment and then, and it, in a big way, and then, and then disappear again. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. Like I said, <laughs> when I first saw that sequence, it was just breathtaking. Like it's, a, beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful, yeah. It's a beautiful It caps something like 20 minutes without score. Really? Yeah. How oh, interesting. Which is, um, and, and you, you, know, you, you heard in, from the walk in the desert all the way through to the end of that, you heard many of those musical um, sort of Tenalis. sound compositions that I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the scenes we're particularly proud of is, is the walk in the desert because Denis from day one had always said that that would be a big music cue. We have to say something really important about um, the blackout and uh, the nuclear blast, and this is the devastation left behind. And the cue told that story, but um, it was, we thought it was all good, but one day I was putting in these Blade Runner booms, that you hear many of them in the film, and using them as um, dramatic impacts on shots. And while experimenting with that, we took the music out to hear what they sounded like, and Denise said, wait, that's much more interesting, that quiet, punctuated by those, those giant sort of earth rattling and you know, chiropractic kind of booms that you hear a lot. <laughs> Any other questions right here in the middle, yeah. That's correct, and my son, who is directly behind you, wrote one of those motifs. So the question was the, the leitmotif of the um, Peter and the Wolf, which signals right. when the AI presence, when, right. uh, I, what is her name? Joy. Joy, uh, when she shows up. Is there a backstory behind why that was selected or what the significance of that is? Um, I can tell you what, what wasn't selected. That was a choice made by Joe and Denis, and we had experimented with a lot of, you know, kind of new age... Microsofty sounding, Apple-y kind of ringtone-y things. And they all sounded a little too 20th century. And we thought that this was, this is meant to be the Wallace Corporation kind of branding. And you would hear it every time you utilize one of their products. And they just, Joe and Denis wanted something classy. And I think this was actually Joe's idea to use the Prokofiev thing mm. as that. 
Interesting. Does it, did, it, did you get that? I mean, a lot of audience members didn't connect that to being the ringtone. Was that clear? Oh, good. It worked. Yeah. Good. Uh, I think we've got time for maybe one question. So the, the question is about the software that you use, the tools that you use. What do you, uh, um, anything specific for recording? Or, and you edit in Pro Tools, I'm, I'm right. sure? Right. I do all my field recording with uh, Sound Devices 788 and uh, a custom-made Sheps um, multi-channel kind of immersive surround rig. And I use Pro Tools as my nonlinear editor. I use Contact as a sampler, but I, I don't do a lot of electronic processing. Almost all my work starts life as an acoustic recording, brought back into the studio and then manipulated in some way. Well, um, it's been a great night. Mark, thanks for coming up from Los thank Angeles. You, it's been really fun. Oh, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you for coming out, everyone. Thank you.